Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Phone Booth Fighting. Frank and I have a couple of uh, big interviews for you as part of this episode. Actually, the whole episode is basically in two parts with a couple of UFC fighters. The first half is Julian Marquez joining us in studio, who just recently fought on the latest Ultimate Fighter live finale here in Las Vegas. And then the second part of today's episode is a guy who fought the very next night after Julian did a big win over Paul Felder in uh, a real slugfest of a fight uh, that was at UFC 226. I'm talking about Platinum Mike Perry. Now, this interview was taped before the Mike Perry Cowboy Cerrone fight was made official. So uh, Mike Perry could not talk about that. You'll hear me try to get it out of him anyway, but he wasn't falling for that because he's crafty. So uh, anyway, uh, great uh, couple of interviews with these guys. A lot of fun, and uh, that makes up today's episode. So enjoy uh, Julian Marquez and Platinum Mike Perry in a UFC fighter double feature on this episode of phone booth fighting from the bent pixel studios in suburban las vegas nevada this is phone booth fighting a twice weekly absolutely free podcast courtesy of that guy the two-time ufc heavyweight champion and current bellator heavyweight contender frank Mir, and myself the two-time funniest comedian in reno as voted by the reno news and review Richard Hunter. Good to be with you. Our guest in studio, Frank. It's always fun we have an in-studio guest. Let's say hello to the Cuban Missile Crisis, Julian Marquez, UFC middleweight. Julian, thanks for coming on, man. How are hey, you? Thank you guys for having me. I'm Good, awesome. man. Good. Lean on into that microphone. Hey, are um, you full-blooded? No, I'm half. Oh. Uh, my dad. Oh, same here. My father's from Havana. Yeah, my uh, family's from Pinat de Rio. So, oh, really? Yeah, they were. Uh, they smuggled over here in like the early 70s, like 72. Uh, my dad came over in the 60s on a plane. <laughs> in the 60s on a plane? Yeah. yeah he beat the Bay of Pigs and everything. Yeah. 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 It, was there ever a thought of being a Julian Bay of Pigs, Marquez? Uh, no, it just wasn't as cool. Yeah. People would just be like, oh, that dude's just a hungry guy. He's a fat little <laughs> dude. Uh, nah. At least the Cuban Missile Crisis is kind of a cool story. Yeah. Uh, the Bay of Pigs, obviously, you being a student of yeah, history. It didn't work know. out well. Yeah, yeah, not such a cool story. Kind of a big-time fuck-over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's rough. The Cuban Missile Crisis is awesome. There's a lot of uh, – well, I shouldn't say it's awesome, but there's a lot of, like – there's a lot of things that went into it, and yeah. it's a huge part of our history because if it would have went wrong in yeah. many different ways, we probably won't be here. That's right. That's right. So. Would it mean anything to you if I uh, start doing my uh, Nikita Khrushchev impersonation and start banging my shoe on the table? Does everybody remember that when he got confronted with the uh, the satellite photos? That's what oh, started the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. The, yeah, the, are the the missiles, the and missile stuff? silos. I didn't know yeah, from Turkey. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah no, exactly. Adelaide Stevenson, who had unsuccessfully run twice against Dwight Eisenhower for president, was the uh, I guess he was the UN ambassador at that point. So they had the the photos and everything, and they're confronting the Russians with it. And there's a uh, famous footage of him like banging his shoe on the table in frustration because obviously they'd been caught. But he didn't want to admit to that. So, yeah. Let's uh, cool. uh, let's give a little love to a couple of sponsors here real quick before we uh, get into our conversation. First of all, you know them if uh, you're a regular listener to Phone Booth Fighting, Low T Nation, lowtnation.com. They're so popular. They're so big. They've got a nation of their own, Low T Nation. What uh, you do, if you're a male, if uh, you're maybe getting past your 30s, maybe you're up into your 40s, even further into your 50s, you're slowing down. You're losing a step. You don't have quite the energy and the definition you used to have. Then LowTNation.com is a, a worthwhile click for you. You go to the website. You call the toll-free number. You get a free telephone consultation from uh, a couple of good phone booth fighting listeners who uh, run the operation over there at LowTNation. And then uh, that's when they set you up with a local clinic in your area. Uh, a little bit of uh, blood work done to make sure you're a candidate. And uh, for more on the convenience that takes place after that, Here's Frank Mir. Yeah, once you get the blood drawn, the physicians can figure out exactly what you need and how much. It's sent directly to your house every day, or excuse me, once a month uh, consistently. That way you don't have no issues about taking your shots. You don't have to worry about missed appointments. You don't have to worry about traveling. It's to your front door, man. Couldn't be any easier. 
That's right. So go to lowtnation.com, call that toll-free number, find out if you're a candidate. They're uh, based in the South, but that part doesn't matter because they can hook you up with a clinic anywhere across America. And, uh, of course, I always uh, say that, that week after week, month after month, we're hearing from more and more phone booth fighting listeners who have benefited from the lowtnation.com way. So log on today, lowtnation.com, and let them know that phone booth fighting sent you. We are also brought to you by my buddy Dave Ellefson elephsoncoffeeco.com if you are a fan of coffee check and if you are a fan of hard metal check then Ellison Coffee Company is for you because, of course, the proprietor over there at Ellison Coffee Company is none other than legendary Megadeth bassist Dave Ellison. He's got himself a coffee company. And uh, if you go to ellisoncoffeeco.com, use the promo code PHONEBOOTH, that's going to save you 10% off of your entire order. Doesn't matter how much you order, you're going to benefit uh, 10% just by uh, being an MMA 11 metalhead uh, like me. Uh, ElephsonCoffeeCo.com is the website, E-L-L-E-F-S-O-N, and let them know that Phone Booth Fighting sent you. All right. Julian is in studio with us now. Julian, I uh, saw you fight live Friday night in a uh, split decision that uh, I will tell you, and Frank will verify this. I'm not just saying this because you were here. I had you winning. Uh, you probably felt the same way too, but uh, always one of those things that's a little tough when it goes to decision. So uh, what were your thoughts? Man, uh, you know, it sucks. Uh, No matter what, no matter how you look at it, um, I could sit there and tell you a thousand times, like, yeah, I felt like I won. I felt like I was going after every every inch to the finish. I just came up short. Um, And then three people decided, you know, my fate. Um, mm-hmm. One person was all with me. The other two were kind of with me, kind of yeah, not. Yeah, the, the, the scores were a little – that's always the tough thing with a split – and this was a split decision, by the way. But uh, it's uh, uh, tough because uh, I, I looked at the scorecards, and it's one thing when, you know, it's you can see 29-28 and there's one round where people were, were different, but it wasn't like that. No, all yeah. rounds. Uh, one person had it all for me. Yeah. And then uh, one person gave me round – uh, two, and then the other person gave mm-hmm. me round three, mm-hmm. and it, I is what it is. Like I, I can't really go back and change it. All I can do is just let it motivate me for the next. Uh, you know, I'm gonna fall forward yeah. on this one. That's what my my main goal is because it sucks when you go to a decision um, at any point in time because you leave your your fate within three people and they see things differently. I don't know how each person judges, and it. it it just didn't go in my favor, and it sucks. Yeah, you fought uh, Alessio uh, uh, Di Chirico. I had to learn to say his name that uh, night. Italian fella. I'm sure that surprises you after I tell you his name, uh, uh, Chirico. But, um, uh, you know, you got your start in the UFC, uh, and I was at this one too, actually, the uh, Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series, yeah. which is a pretty cool way for guys now to get into the UFC. You know, in the old days, the only way, unless you were already a known commodity out there, was the Ultimate Fighter. Now they got Tuesday Night Contender Series. I mean, it's I think it's for people who are a little more seasoned professionals, but it's that way you get a good look, and then, you know, it's a one-night uh, uh, tryout, I guess, and then you get yeah. the contract. So I know Oh, that went well for you. No, yeah, for sure. I think the Dana White uh, Tuesday Night Contender Series is awesome because the problem is, like, there's so many promotions out there and there's so many fighters today, and um, that show actually gives people reinsurance to let them know, like, hey, you're actually – like, Dana knows who you are. These people make Sean Shelby. They know who you are, and they're going to give you an opportunity to fight on their show mm. for the potential to get a contract, whereas, like – Way before it was, you know, like the ultimate fighter, like you said, everybody would come out, um, you have a tryout, and then they'll take, what, 16 people? Is that how many people was in the bracket, or 12 people? Or Sometimes you do 32, and they'd all fight to get in the yeah, house. Sometimes I think it's 16. 16 when they've already got them selected. But, yeah. yeah, about that. So it's like you have all these deals, and it's like if you don't get in, you're just like, oh, and then you have to figure out a different way on the comeback. And mm-hmm. um, this is just a little bit more of a – more of a an easier way to find the people out uh which was awesome like it's how i got discovered um you know the tough people in the gym that you go and train all the time you're like man how come this guy doesn't have a chance they actually are the people that are on the show Mm -hmm. um a lot of people have been taking a lot of short notice fights to 
to help fill the card because a lot of accidents happen. A lot of people get injured. We're fighters. So, you know, there's people that show up on this contender series that you have no clue about, and the next thing you know, they just shine out. And it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I think another thing too, Frank, because if you think about it, over the years with Ultimate Fighter, first of all, you've got to keep track of all those different people in one clip because you've got them all in front of you as a viewer. Then the other thing is too, especially the fights getting into the house, all those fights don't get shown. You know, so you might have actually tried out, and even if you got selected, your entire fight may not have shown. They may have just shown it as a highlight clip. I kind of like this concept because even if you don't get the contract, you get on Fight Pass, you get on a, a high-profile stage, and you've got a fight. I mean, there's guys that, that win and don't get contracts, but even if you're in a competitive fight, you've got a pretty good resource there to even use as a demo tape if you're you know booking yourself on regional shows. No, I would think that would elevate your appeal 100 percent. i mean even you know going back and having to reroute yourself out to make it to other big events if bouncing down to the smaller shows that criteria of having that you know ufc in the background is definitely going to up your value no 100 and what's cool about it too man is if you've ever gone to any of the shows or if you fought in the uh if you fought inside the tough gym mm -hmm. man it's insane you can actually feel everything mm -hmm. um as a fighter and as a spectator like you can almost feel the the wind coming off of a kick that's missed, or you can actually feel their slam when they take them down. Like everything's more in your face. Whereas, like when we go to UFC events or we go to these you know bigger events where there's a lot of people, it's kind of hard to uh, no. actually get into it because of the crowd or not really into it. You're just far away. But no matter where you're at in that tough gym, you're you're right up on the cage. So it's that's true. You know, being at those live and you know you coached a season, Frank. You probably maybe thought this but it's the the dichotomy of being in a gym setting where a professional fight is taking place is really different i mean especially like you said julian if you're used to attending the big events because when you're in a gym just your subconscious thinks sparring even if you're seeing hard sparring you're still seeing sparring you know we're not going to go to syndicate tomorrow and see somebody you know <laughs> with their professional record on the line in the cage you know going for a win or a loss i always thought that was actually a good thing for guys too it's kind of intermediate mm -hmm. because most people at the level that you are already being considered for that Fighting is not what really makes you nervous, but it's hard to prepare for all the oohs and ahs of walking out in front of 15,000 oh, yeah, people. Yeah. You know, so I think that fighting there, you're still fighting in a UFC event, but you're only fighting in front of 60 people. Mm -hmm. I think it takes away that element that sometimes locks people up. I mean, how many times have you seen guys have debuts, they go to the big show, and all of a sudden it's like, well, it's because it's UFC. I'm like, mm, it's because there's 15,000 people surrounding the cage. Oh, yeah. It's overwhelming. And sometimes people, like, you know, you, you get shell-shocked. It's like I, I tell people all the time, it's like, hey, man, you probably said the Pledge of Allegiance your whole fucking life. But if the middle of a fucking basketball game or a fucking baseball game with a full stadium, I walked you down and said, all right, go, buddy. Mm -hmm. You're like, holy shit, you know? Oh, I yeah. can testify to that. My first fight in the UFC – like when I went out there, oh man, I lost my. I, I won the fight, but mm -hmm. like I lost my adrenaline, I lost my cool. Like I was just so yeah. I couldn't stop dancing, I couldn't stop moving because you're about to you you've been planning your whole entire life to be in this situation, and then you walk down this aisle where you don't see anybody, and all of a sudden they remove the curtain, and then you have an entire stadium yeah. and an entire arena just filled with people about to watch you and another person perform, and it's. It's hard. It's thrilling. I've had 30 fights now. I still can't get that part of my heart rate to calm down. Like, I'm calm in the dressing room. I'm calm walking into staging. The minute they open up the curtain, if you had a heart monitor on me, I'm like, fuck. Heart rate's fucking just, at like 145. I'm just sitting there like this. God damn it, you know? Yeah. Until I can get to the cage. That's why, like, I'm like, I, I, you'll see me sometimes. I'm looking at the cage because that's my centering piece. I'm like, all right, mm -hmm. I'm used to that. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's one way of doing it. Is that your phone? No, that's, I think someone hit the doorbell. Do we have a doorbell? I guess we do. We just yeah, found out. We had a doorbell. Found out doorbell. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. This is going to be a little producing on the air, <laughs> which is fine. I'm going to get up and go answer the door. Uh, well, it's Mike, probably. Okay, yeah, we, we think that's Mike Perry. So I'm going to go answer the door, and Frank will now take the reins, and, and it'll we'll be talk, a, yeah. a We'll just a go on to it. Cuban yeah, so, podcast. So that's my centering of knowing that. Like, it's like anything else. I mean, how many times have you competed against just one guy? So I always yeah, tell yeah. people, like, hey, man, as soon as you can, just focus on the guy you're fighting. Because if you start looking out into the crowd and you start looking at everybody around you, that can be very overwhelming. Oh. It's just so much energy. And like, 
how many times are you going to practice that? You can't train that. Where you're fighting somebody, just you've been training there. for hours and days and weeks and you know of time put into that aspect of your game. 100%. So, like, this last fight, it was at the Pearl. And I was expecting, you know, like, before I walked out, I, I was sitting there by that curtain, and I literally sat down at cross-legged, Indian style, just sitting there closing my eyes and just taking deep breaths just to, to calm me out because I thought it was going to be a long walk. The no, moment they called my name, it was literally I just turned the corner and I was like already there. So it didn't give me that time to like really soak it in. Then you get in the cage and once you're in the cage, you kind of just like black everything out. Yeah. You once know, you're in the cage, I think you hit your autopilot where it's yeah. like, all right, now I'm fighting somebody. This is normal. It's that walkout that just, yeah, that long walk. That's why actually, you know what I thought was horrible is what I remember one time I was up in Canada watching, uh, uh, it was when, who was fighting? I think it was... Uh, I know Randy fought his last fight against Machida, and GSP was fighting. Was it in Montreal or yeah, uh, Winnipeg? I think so. I think it was Montreal. I just remember it just being, a, it was like a 35,000 you know, stadium, and, and we're sitting there, I was like, wow, the fucking seats, man, it's so fucking far away. And the, the thought that hit me was like, oh, fuck, that's a long walk to the cage. I'm all, note to self, I don't ever want to fucking fight yeah. here because now a, a, a you know 90-second, maybe two-minute walk is turning into a fucking eight-minute walk. I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I can handle it. I'll be fucking gassed out by the time I hit the fucking <laughs> stairs, you know, crawling up. Like, what's he doing, the Anderson? I'm like, no, he's fucking, he can't walk. You know what's <laughs> funny on, about that on. is uh, when you came out for the Fedor fight, our, uh, our buddy Butch Bradley was watching it, and I talked to him afterward, and he goes, you must sell it well in terms of if your heart's pounding, you don't show it. Because he said when, when you came out, he goes, Frank is walking to the cage looking like he's just trying to remember where he parked. Like he's kind of like, well, I know I parked around here somewhere. Yeah, so he actually, he actually took it the opposite. Uh, you know what, though? That's important of not showing your cars. Yeah. You know, and I think that sometimes, you know, uh, man kind of works from the outside in. So if, 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 if I'm nervous about something, I try mm -hmm. to actually control mm -hmm. my breathing and my composure mm -hmm. because then I know that it'll actually start controlling me on a subconscious level. Mm -hmm. Your body will go back and forth that way. Just like, you know, as stupid as it sounds, like if you're in a bad fucking mood, start smiling. Mm -hmm. and, and for whatever reason, it fucking starts cheering. You know what I mean? Like... I might look like a fucking psycho, but you know, like it actually can try to. It's weird how the. So that's why I look like such a poker face is because I'm trying to turn the inside of me to look exactly what the outside looks like. Yeah. Hone in on all your energy and make sure it's. Yeah. Not well, because, you know, <laughs> heavyweight, I have a finite amount of <laughs> fuel in the tank. <laughs> if I burn it all out, we're going to be screwed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'd be a rough night now for sure. Yeah. Now, Julian, you uh, have you permanently moved to Las Vegas? Yeah. Uh, I've lived here for little over two years now okay yeah cool. so i've done everything here and uh man it's it's kind of wild this is a different different city i lived in uh, kansas city missouri uh -huh. so it, it's everything was home mm -hmm. you know i knew where everything was at i could walk to the gas station i wasn't gonna you know fry my entire body walking 20 feet <laughs> um right. it was humid you know coming out here is just so dry and it's so weird so it took a while to actually get acclimated to like the weather, the people, um, but now being here for two years, I I feel like I'm at home. Like I don't like going anywhere else. You trained yeah. with Eastman for a little while too, right? Yeah, I trained with Marvin. Yeah, Marvin. Yeah, yeah. I like Marvin. Uh, right? oh, Off man. and on throughout the years, I've always trained with Marvin. I have a funny story. It kind of has to do with Marvin, but I remember one time I talk about fighters and confidence, and it has to kind of do with you know when you say, "Oh, you would never guess that," right? I told you that sometimes. Vitor Belfort at his heyday was probably one of the most dangerous guys when he was on, right? Yeah. But one of the guys that had the least amount of confidence in himself was Vitor Belfort. It was the most amazing contradiction of like, dude, you're like a fucking world-class athlete. Mm. Black belt jiu-jitsu, fucking high-level boxer. How can you be so nervous before a fight? So we're sharing a locker room together because this was back still when I had a primarily Brazilian corner. And uh, so we're all in there and really speaking Portuguese and talking, and I'm just kind of like minding my own business sitting down. Well, Vitor comes and sits next to me, right? And, and now, mind you, we're fighting in about two hours. Like, there are, the, the prelims have already started. He and I are on the main card. And he's like, hey, so you've trained with Marvin. I'm like, yeah, you know, Marvin, yeah. I've sparred him many a times, you know? And, you know, and that's the guy that he's about to fight. Mm -hmm. And so he goes, oh. And now I know what he's about to ask me. I thought I knew he was about to ask me. He wants inside tips. So mm -hmm. I'm about to tell him, like, 
hey man you know that's not cool you know what yeah. I mean? like without you know he's right before a fight and i'm not gonna you know like, hey you're a fucking asshole for mm -hmm. asking me this shit i'm just right. like hey i'd rather not you know Mm -hmm. say anything like yes i train with him i'm not about to tell you you know yeah. does he have a bad knee or mm -hmm. his shoulders off or he's gonna murder you you know, like you know like i would rather just you know the fight world's small i don't want to be involved in that kind of you know i'm cool with you i'm mm -hmm. cool with marvin i want to yeah. continue to be cool with everybody let's not you know you know that just sounds dirty so as i'm getting ready to say that he just looks at me and goes do you think i could win and I'm like shocked for a second. Like I'm looking at him. And then like I'm looking around like, is anybody else hearing this? I'm like, I'm like, and then I'm like, okay, dude, you're fucking with me, right? You know, I'm like, I look at him and I can see the look in his eyes. He's not fucking with me. I'm like, uh. oh, uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. You know? <laughs> I don't know what to say to him. I never had a fighter walk up to me before a fight and go, hey, man, yeah. do you think I can pull this off? I'm like yeah. a couple hours before the fight. This is what he asked. No, the fights were already going on. Like I was already taped up. I'm like looking at him, I'm like, oh shit. Like I understand being nervous, but holy shit. Like to the point I'm like looking at him, like, I didn't, like you know, like whenever I'm stunned and I don't know what to say, I usually just don't say nothing. I just yeah. kind of, I give you that blank stare. I'm just trying to, the wheels are turning. I'm like, are you fucking with me? Or is this yeah. serious? Or like, how do I address this? And he goes out and wins. And like the first, he threw one blitz and fucking scalped fucking Marvin's skull open. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'm like, and so if you saw the fight, you're like, oh, this guy's a fucking killer. I'm all, eh. <laughs> if you had talked insane. to him in the locker room, you wouldn't have thought so. Wow. Dude, that's one thing that I have to do. Um, I'm not saying I'm like the same way, but I'm definitely, I have to see a mental coach. I have to talk to someone about my mentality because you know that saying, like whether you, when you leave the gym, no matter what you say about yourself, you're right. Right. So when you have a bad day or like someone gets in with a punch, you think you got beat up, but yet you were destroying the whole entire thing, but all you could focus on is that one bad punch that got through or that one submission. Um, that a lot of athletes are that way. That's what makes us so, good athletes. It is. So it's it's I have to deal with a mental coach to get me to constantly like switch my mind because it changes variously hmm. throughout the entire camp. Like one moment I'll be sitting there just like I'm the king of the world. The next moment I feel like I I'm nobody and that's why I talk to him every week just to remind myself, like, man, they're just thoughts. Do you ever think it just goes in waves? Because I noticed that, like, okay, the day of the fight, or usually the night before, it comes in waves. I'll have a five, ten-minute fucking period where I'm sitting there and all of a sudden my adrenaline dumps. I'm nervous. I'm like, fuck, man, what am I got myself into? And then all of a sudden, like, I peek out on my nervousness, and then all of a sudden – comes back to him like oh well i could do this i could do that and then confidence comes back i always say it's like the demons calling you know what i mean like yeah. those naysayers in your mindset usually for me what i do is i just focus on what i can control i'm like look man winning and losing is, is uncontrollable you'll drive yourself insane trying to control that oh 100%. what i try to control is just my performance so i just sit there and go okay i'm gonna throw a jab his most common three elements he's going to respond a b and c and i know what i'm going to do when i go and change levels he has his a b and c defenses i go and i just start routing out and i just kind of hide my mind or focus it on something constructive mm -hmm. i guess mm -hmm. yeah my battle isn't in the fight like when i'm in there no 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 i don't think anybody's is the the, the day like the, the couple of days before oh, yeah. oh man it's no so sometimes that's where the waves yeah. come in that's why actually i've cornered guys and i've told people don't put this guy into a fight and people understand, and I've actually had to explain that to people. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, the guy you're fighting, he'll fight you, and he's fucking a fucking specimen. But he's questioning himself right now. Make it a slow-paced fight. Slow it down. Hmm. Slow the fight down. Just, and you'll beat him. You'll outscore him because he's going to second-think him. He, he's going to overthink the situation. But yeah. a guy who's overthinking, like, for example, like Ngano, this last weekend, if I was in, in, in the corner of a, um, Derek Lewis, I wouldn't have told him to attack him too hard. I thought Derek Lewis, actually, that's a good game plan. Beat his legs up a little bit, barely beat him. Because Ngano's still a very gifted athlete, very powerful output. If he would have jumped on him and put him in a war, all the mental shit that Ngano was going through his head, that would have been out the fucking window. Yeah. So the worst thing you can do when you see a guy who's struggling with himself don't back him into a corner because every dog, no matter how feeble it is, if you back it into a corner, it's going to bite back. So if you see that guy who's questioning himself, it's like, oh, you're, you're kind of questioning whether you should be here or not. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to beat you, but I'm not going to call out your manhood. I'm not going to I'm not going to get the giant to wake up. You know what I mean? I'm going to let it go and stay asleep, peck you away. And then by the time you go in the locker room, you'll be like, fuck, I was in a fight. I never turned on. 
perfect because you don't want like I said Ghana was like a sleeping giant yeah he could he was so frozen mentally because of his he fucking Stipe bullshit but I guarantee you had uh, um in Ghana Lewis. Lewis. Lewis thank mm. you Derek mm. if Derek would jumped on his ass and put him in a fucking war dropped him and got back up all of a sudden Ghana wouldn't have had the fucking mental issues he was having yeah. he would have went into autopilot and he would have been the fighter that he normally is and he just would have started fucking fighting back that's, yeah. a, that's a good assessment like I never really thought of it like that you know we all know how to fight yeah if you push all, it's all psychological it's autopilot. too yeah. it's all psychological yeah it could have been a, a good game plan because I was confused of why when I was watching it live, I was confused, like, well, what happened in that fight? Because, you know, it looked like Derek Lewis was trying to go through, but they were literally in each other's ranges to where whoever threw the jab out was yeah. going to land, and no one no one was pulling the trigger. Well, you had so. one guy in Ghana who was having mental fucking issues. He didn't want to throw first in fear of being taken down because he felt what that felt like to be on the bottom of another heavyweight, and he didn't want to be on the bottom of, I'm sure, of Derek. Mm -hmm. And then you had Derek, I think that, I don't think Derek had mental issues. I think Derek had physical issues. I think physically he couldn't explode the way he wanted to. His back was so yeah. trashed, which in hindsight probably helped him win the fight. As stupid as that sounds, had he had a healthy back and he threw a ferocious right hand and it didn't sleep Nagano, Nagano the first time, it probably would have woken Nagano's ass up. He probably would have been like, well, fuck this. Yeah. And fucking he would have thrown a lot more than 15 fucking punches in the whole fight. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, for sure. I uh I I thought when I like after reading his um Francis's like explanation it makes so much sense. I thought Francis got scared after the first kick he threw and then Derek Lewis actually countered with it. If you watched like Derek Lewis landed a flush right hand and actually wobbled or it looked like it wobbled or caught him off balance and Francis fell back towards the cage, Derek Lewis pressured in and then that's when everything went back Shake to slow bake. space. Yeah. I, th I mean, I saw the exchange and, and throughout the whole fight. I mean, honestly, I think I watched the first round mm -hmm. and I didn't watch rounds two and three, but through fast, yeah. I, I sped through it. Yeah. Because I, I already knew yeah. the conclusion. So I was like, fuck, I can't watch it this. It made the fight more exciting that yeah. way. <laughs> <laughs> it made Nagano look like he could dance really well. <laughs> but uh, but I, I assumed it also, too, was just, I thought Francis was just mentally fried from Stipe. I mean, mm -hmm. even afterwards, I saw John Wood in the gym and we're sitting there and, and right off the bat, I'm like, he was, he goes, fuck yes, he was still, he goes, and John even said, he goes, and we had no clue. He mm -hmm. goes, he had probably the best camp I've ever had a heavyweight go through. Mm -hmm. Every day came in, felt good, fucking people up. Hey, how do you feel today? I feel great. Like, there wasn't a day he came in where it was like, ah, you know, I'm not feeling good. He goes, his wrestling was awesome. He goes, dude, his fucking, he's developed a really fucking sick double leg takedown, which he adds that to his repertoire of striking. Like, now it's, fuck, there's one yeah. more element to be scared of. They're like, He's fucking running people over, you know? I'm like, wow. Yeah. And they're like, so we had no indications that we had to sit there and go, okay, you know, the last fight was the last fight. You've improved. Let's get over it. We didn't know he was still carrying that with him until all of a sudden, like, he goes, even said, he goes, it was between the second and third round. John was saying, I'm, dude, we're losing. Can you at least just let your hands go? Like, I'm not even, I guess the point where it's like, I'm not even asking you to win the fight. I'm just asking you not to look stupid. To perform. You know what I mean? Just at this point, let's not lose the fight because you didn't even throw a punch. You know, yeah. like let's at least fucking go down with something, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. why I think having a mental coach is definitely it's a must because you will clam up uh in situations like that. I mean I mean, he just fought for the world title against Stipe and he hit him with everything he had. He couldn't put out Stipe like he normally has been taking people out and then Stipe took him down and held him on the ground for the entirety of their fight and I can see him again like that being afraid so it's like it's one of those things now I have to talk to my for me personally I have to talk to my um, psychological coach my mental coach so that I can go back in and be like hey man Julian like yes it, it was a rough it's a rough loss because I didn't feel like I lost but I still lost but still to me, it's it, I'm always gonna look at it like, hey man, I, I have a loss on my record, and it, I never fight to win or lose. I fight to perform and to show my capabilities. And there's a lot of things in this fight that I wasn't able to show for through certain things. Like, for instance, the first round, I, I tore my lat muscle off of my bone, so I have to get surgery next week to fix it. So I went through mm -hmm. this whole fight trying to do stuff that my body wasn't allowing me to. Yeah. So it's like mentally it messed me up but well and fighting our sport i think is the mental the most mentally tough sport that i can think of uh 
for multiple factors. Um, one is that I always tell people, like, here's the thing that drives people insane. People feel, and we're kind of trained this throughout, as, through, even through our, our, our schooling, right? You know, hey, work hard, do the work, and, 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 and it'll pay off. And fighting, that's not true, mm-hmm. right? No. I've trained with people that have done everything fucking right and walked out there and got fucking slept in 16 seconds. I've trained with people that showed up at the gym twice in an eight-week period, were on, I don't know how they fucking passed the drug test, and I'm not talking about PEDs, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And fucking won the fight in 16 seconds, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, obviously there's a more percentage and, and you'll be more consistent if you train hard and you put in smart work uh, much more than, you know, more often than not, but people still go nuts about that guarantee. And I think somehow as humans, we have an illusion in our everyday life. Like, well, if I eat right and I exercise, you know, I, I probably won't have a heart attack. I'm like, you know, there's people that have heart attacks all the fucking time. And it's a smaller percentage. There's vegans out there that die of heart attacks in their 40s, in their 30s. You know, just like shit happens. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Now, is it a smaller percentage? Yeah. But is there a guarantee? No. And I think that's what drives fighters insane because we actually have to face that truth of the reality of the world that there is no certainty there is no guarantee and then on top of that you compound the fact with it's like all right so you fucked up today it's like all right it's the nfl it's like oh you fucked up on sunday all right we got next sunday you can erase all those fucking highlight reels if you're getting your ass kicked off of espn it's like when's the next time you get to race it like uh maybe four months from now if i'm lucky three if i get a quick turnaround like it might be eight months before i have i'm gonna have eight months of this is the last performance i've had so every time you go out there it's the fucking super bowl you know what i mean like oh every time every time and it's it's tough man to sit there and just constantly let the the thought of what you could have done um monday morning quarterback yourself you know the best way to say it in your fight and you know, you'll see, you always see good things, but even if the, in the good things, you always see the bad things and you're constantly playing it. But that's what actually makes us better as fighters is that we break down ourselves. We start focusing on things that we need to do. But man, I'll tell you what, you need an escape because if you don't stop thinking about that, you'll, you'll eat yourself alive. Oh yeah, for sure. We've, uh, by the way, we've got a uh, platinum Mike Perry here on the on deck circle. He's in the green room right nice. now. So we, uh, it's a, he it's helped a dub- us discover that we actually have a fucking doorbell. I know he's <laughs> the first person that ever rang the doorbell. We didn't even know there was one here. <laughs> That's I awesome. Heard it. I was like, is that your new ringtone for him? Yeah. Well, that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doorbell. yeah. Boy, a uh, 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 merit badge for him on politeness there. Just <laughs> right. the doorbell. Uh, so he'll be joining us here momentarily. Um, but, you know, you mentioned that uh, that lat surgery you're going to have to do, Julian, because actually when I saw you uh, after the fight, he had the right arm in the sling, so we had to do the awkward left-handed handshake, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, how long does that put you out of training? What's the well, story there? Um, I, I talked to the surgeon Monday. He was out of town. Um, I went to L.A. to speak with um, Kavitney, and he looked it up, and he's the one who informed me that it's not a rotator uh, or labrum. It was actually I, I pulled the meat off the bone, kind of like if you grab a chicken wing and mm. you like rip it up, and you see that flab of meat. Eef. That's pretty much how he explained it to me. So they said that this isn't coming from the surgeon that's doing it. It's coming from another surgeon. Mm-hmm. He said that it'll take three months of rehab, okay. followed by another month where I can actually start slowly getting into training. And then by month six, I can start being in the gym and, like, accepting a fight. So maybe it'd take nine months, seven months. Um, But having the Performance Institute, like, here and being able to live here and having the rehab and being able to do that multiple times a day, hopefully it would speed up the process, but... Yeah, you have yeah. access to some investors. Oh, yeah, you'll be able yeah. to do it at the uh, Performance Institute. Well, you know, uh, if if we're looking for silver linings here, I can only think of one. Uh, Julian, that's going to give you plenty of time to podcast. You should, you should come back on with us, and I let's will, do man. some more. Yeah, yeah. I'm totally – I'm 100% in. Uh I definitely I like your guys' studio. Thanks, I man. might have to add a couple to your collection. Sure, if you um, have something for the shelf, yeah, bring something. Uh, bring something. Of, I'm a collector, so I have okay. a lot of stuff to put in there. Okay, I'll tell you what. Next time we should. How about we do Julian Marquez show and tell? There we you go. just okay. bring a few because we're obviously a, a video medium. People can watch on YouTube, and you can uh, show off some of your collection. I love it. I yeah, love it. That's cool. Hey, man, tell everybody how they can follow you on uh, social media and so um, keep up with you. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, all my handles are J Marquez MMA. 
uh, I'm always posting fun stuff, different challenges, um, different questions. So, yeah, just give me a follow. We'll interact, and uh, we'll, we'll do some challenges. Yeah, cool, man. And by the way, Julian is looking for his glasses. So if you yeah. rent, if you happen to end up in his rental car, in, my enterprise uh, in car. his enterprise rental car uh, in the next few days, and you find a pair of glasses in there, they may be Julian's. He came in, and he was on the phone with uh, Enterprise trying to find them. And I told him, I said, man, if your eyesight's anything like mine, jeez. Frank can tell you how bad my eyesight is. In fact, it's here's my problem. Actually, I'll tie this to, to training is like I wear contacts if I'm not wearing glasses, right? So if I'm doing any kind of actual sparring, I'll take contacts out. But the problem is if I don't have contacts in, like Frank's face would be blurry yeah. to me. And so – You could walk into a room and he doesn't know – he sees a body. Yeah. I, I've had people – like I've, I've had to explain to people like, you know, Richard – you know, I'm like, Richard couldn't even tell it was you, dude. Yeah. He, just, he might not be able to – Like if you committed a crime, that they would be like, so is he white, black, Hispanic? You'd be like, fuck, it was a blur, dude. Like yeah. I'm like, really? That bad? Like, that bad. So in, train, in the gym, it'll be like I'm not saying hi to somebody. It's not because I'm not trying to be friendly. It's like I literally don't – don't recognize that you you know i got to get up right against you to yeah, see it good. that's good i mean if you ever get questioned for anything i didn't have my contacts in. yeah yeah that's true it, so. <laughs> <laughs> i guess you could use it to your advantage cold shoulder people yeah yeah, yeah true well it's, it's been awesome having you in man let's uh, seriously let's get you back in again soon please, you're local please. and and uh, a lot of fun chatting so uh uh, we'll show and tell next time. Awesome. Thank All you, right. guys. All right. The Cuban Missile Crisis. Julian Marquez has been our guest here on Phone Booth Fighting. Joining us in studio now, Frank, is Platinum Mike Perry, fresh off of victory over Paul Felder. A fight, Mike, that uh, I got to witness in person. And I'll tell you what, that was that was the people's fight that night. Oh. That, w- that was a good fight fights uh appreciate that. yeah absolutely and uh you know uh um it was competitive i mean there was there was a split decision it was back and forth uh it was bloody it was it had a lot of drama to it and you know it was one of those fights that that sometimes when injuries happen and things get moved around because there was a domino effect with this fight because our buddy james vick was supposed to fight uh felder and next week, I think, and then uh, 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 he ended up getting matched up against Justin Gagey. So he got pulled out of that fight. So Felder gets left without an opponent. He takes the fight uh, with uh, with Mike and actually moves up to welterweight for the fight. And I could tell even when because uh, you had was, a fight scheduled too, though, didn't you? Didn't someone pull out on you? Yeah, Yancy Medeiros was supposed right. to be yeah my original opponent. Right, because you were already so getting ready for fight too. Pulled out a week out. Yeah. So I knew I thought somebody would pick it up. I yeah. I was sure somebody would take a paycheck. Yeah. I mean, it didn't look like there was a size difference. No, no, it didn't. So. I mean, not when you guys faced off. Yeah, you pointed that out too at the uh at the the uh the face offs too. You're like, I don't see a size difference here, yeah, right? But I I feel like I knew I was more solid. Yeah. Like I'm more dense. Mm-hmm. He made 55. I don't know if he can make it anymore because, I mean, he looked like he was pretty big. So, Yeah. But he he was a little faster than me, though. Mm. So maybe that was the visual difference that he was a little smaller. Mm-hmm. And I was I was like more solid on the ground. I I took his shots pretty well. Mm-hmm. They didn't move me very much. And when I hit him gently, he kind of flew every time. So, you know, yeah, I mean, he was so tough, man. He could take the shot. Yeah. He got cut open. And when I got on top, you know, I I even tried to drop him on his head. Like he's got to be rocked now. And I get on top in a good position. I even got a couple shots off, but he just kept scooting and stood right up. Didn't have the top control. I want to go get my black belt so I could feel a little more knowledge of, you know, that top pressure. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. and that's improved a lot since moving to Albuquerque. You've become much more well-rounded instead of just somebody that someone has to worry about, all right, if we're going to fight, you know, Perry, let's not box with him. You know, he fucking, you know might knock us the fuck out but let's wrestle him for a little while and take him down and try him out there and you showed improvements there yeah good thank you i appreciate that uh didn't know you'd be watching my fights like that man that's pretty cool though so uh you know even more more so in the future i think i need to shoot more single leg takedowns more pickups and slams better Mm. dumps practice the finishes once i get them up in the air like that i can do that more often 
And uh, well, you have the athletic ability; it's just the mindset of adding the technique to it. So you know, yeah. just do it. And I think if you look at guys that can shoot well on top of being dangerous strikers, they're fucking nightmares to deal with because it's like, all right, do I, if he changes levels, are you gonna shoot on it? Are you gonna fucking hit me with an uppercut? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and it just. Now you're a multi-pronged weapon. You know what I mean? Frank mentioned the move to Albuquerque. Now, for those who don't know, you're now training with uh, Jackson Wink, and I, just, I actually asked you about that in the post-fight press conference about what that transition had been like for you. And uh, just to follow up on that point, Mike, you know, a, a lot of fighters when they make these kind of camp moves uh, going into it, there's reasons for it and that sort of thing. But sometimes the the results vary from from good to bad to mix. Obviously, this has been a good move for you. So you know, being on the other side of it, when you look back on everything that you've learned or experienced since training with with Jackson Wink, what do you think really paid off in the fight? Well, um, you know, it all felt pretty new uh, going out. It was a different nervous feeling than Mm. usual because I had only had two months with a system that wasn't necessarily mine or one that I had been working ever Mm -hmm. so two months new I felt like a I felt like fresh fish going in the UFC octagon I was like oh man uh I know this guy's pretty experienced so but um I went out there and and that actually kept my my reactions tip tip top shape Mm -hmm. you know it kept me moving really fast because i was worried and didn't want to get hit a certain way so uh you know speaking of the camp switch i really want to i want to do it again but even with a different team like i want to go see the champ t woodley Mm -hmm. and his team which is what duke rufus the guys that i just kind of fought against yeah right uh I talked to the champ about it before the fight, you know, and we know it went down, but, you know, Cowboy was even going to take the fight, and I had been training with him at Jackson Wink. It makes sense that two guys who put in work together, punch each other in the face hard, and practice, uh, you know, the death dance without getting paid could get paid. To yeah. do it in front of everybody if they really are that good, the best, or, you know, can put on a show better than everybody else. Do you know that uh, – and that it's interesting you bring that up about Woodley because I asked him back – if you remember a few years ago when he was still at ATT and it was Woodley, Lawler, and Lombard were all there at ATT at the same time and they were all, like, right there at the top of the welterweight division. I mean, ATT was – kind of had a problem where it's like you know man our fighters are all right there and and they're gonna be matched up against each other with title shots and i remember woodley actually said that hey you know what if we get matched up against each other he said not only would he uh uh fight those guys but they could all train together He's like, we don't care. We'll just train together and still do the fights. Now, it didn't actually end up happening, and then guys end up moving to other places. But that was kind of interesting when they said that. I mean, that's that's kind of a you know that that that's a that's an old school mentality too. You know, when you you know, and you think about it. Uh, I mean, in it's boxing, like, they say that. Yeah, if you're my friend, you'll fight me because yeah. you're helping me get paid. Yeah. My only counter to that that I've ever noticed is that sometimes when people fight, fighters, we get it, because, I mean, you think about it, you're training with your friends all the time in the gym. Everybody, I've choked my friends way more than I've ever choked anybody I didn't like. Right, right. I've hit my friends way more than I've ever hit anybody <laughs> I didn't like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just, it's just the way that it works. You know what I mean? You're training with guys that you're friends with. You go eat lunch afterwards, you chill. Is that when you fight each other, you guys get over it. I, I, it's like, fuck, fighting's fighting. But I noticed the people around you. It's like the girlfriends, the wives, the buddies and shit. Like, they seem to fucking be awkward. Like, it'll be like that awkward moment where I'm like, what the fuck's going on here? You know what I mean? Yeah. It seems like it's the people that aren't fighters that are involved in the situation. They don't know how to deal with yeah. two guys that are friends fighting each other. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that moms and yeah. cousins and aunties and uncles. <laughs> right. Everybody all of a sudden doesn't like your friend yeah yeah that would be fun yeah you know that's what it's that's what it's getting to these days yeah i'm starting to fight the guys that i actually kind of like the top Mm -hmm. of the division those are guys that are decent 
athletes. Right. That's the direction you want to be headed. Yeah. I was going to say, too, uh, if you follow Mike on uh, Instagram, I don't know what was more impressive, his his hard-fought victory over Paul Felder or getting uh, the the nose stitched up after the fight because the, the doctor gives him two injections, right? And he goes, okay, here's the first one. This is a small needle. And he shoots him with it, you know, no reaction or whatever. And then he pulls out this big one. And he's like, all right, here's the big one. I'm sorry in advance. This is going to be awful. Shoots him up with it. Doesn't even flinch. I hate it, though. I'll bet it sucked. Your face is full of <laughs> adrenaline. You probably know. Yeah. You know, take a couple I, I hate punches. the cuts here, though, because now every time I get punched in the nose, yeah. the scar tissue here, like what you're going to have now, oh. it's never the same anymore. <laughs> it's going to cut there all the fucking time, dude. Money you know now, like the one knee I took against Brandon Vera gouges me, and like every fight, I always get stitches here. Uh-huh. If I got Alistair Overeem fight, get stitches in my nose. Like it's the same scar tissued area yeah. that if I take a hard shot there, especially like a knee or an elbow mm-hmm. that has no padding on it, it just rips my fucking nose open. Yeah. Even throwing knees and elbows. He got me in the rib a little bit mm-hmm. with one of them knees. So, uh, that sucks too. We were throwing, man. I don't know. Uh, have you heard about his arm? He broke his arm. No, I didn't know. I did hear something about that. Maybe yeah. spinning back fist. Well, I think afterwards, yeah. yesterday, you were talking about that. Yeah. It came out that he had a broken. Yeah. And yeah. he's spinning back fist me, I guess. Caught me coming in. And maybe that did a little. I know I slammed him on it. Mm-hmm. So. I actually, mean, I think spinning back knuckles sometimes for that reason can be dangerous. Yeah. How many? I mean, now I mean, uh, Paige Van Zandt broke her arm the same way, right? Yeah. You spin around and you hit somebody and they put their arm up, or even if you hit them on the head, if you don't hit them somewhere vital, back of the ear, it's like it doesn't matter, and your arm's just kind of like I mean, you know, it's like almost like getting well, a stick and slamming it yeah. around a pole. And you're also, if you That's think about a lot it, of energy. You think about it too. You're momentarily losing sight of your target. So you don't know which way they're going to move. I mean, you, by the time you spin around, you don't know exactly where they're going to be, which means you don't know exactly where your fist yeah, lands. I think it's a kamikaze. It's kind of one That's of those, right. That's it, what, yeah, it's yeah. a Hail Mary shot, you know. Right. If it lands, I mean, you could be the fucking welterweight champ of the world. Yeah. <laughs> but they got systems with it. The way that these uh, kickboxing camps are working and they're spinning, throwing hook kicks and the the combination never stops. I was working it over there. I, th- I even threw a couple – Maybe one spin in the fight, spin the elbow, mm-hmm. and I wasn't as good at it. I was, I'm more like solid feet planted boxing, and I was trying to even land on the back of his head during some of the spins, but like his shoulder was blocking my by pushing my arm with his back, and it. I mean, that's the thing with MMA though; it's all these styles. Mm-hmm. I like spin elbows because I think those are sneaky and in close because mm-hmm. you're spinning on somebody who's close to you. John does those a lot, you know. Spins, yeah. catches you, and I've seen, yeah. I think he was the first guy I saw make that popular. I just think the spinning back knuckle is kind of dangerous because it's a long-distance weapon, so people have more time to react, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're exposing your back, you know, and I don't know. I'm just – I'm not – I feel like it's either a hit or miss, you know. It's like either a great reward or great risk. Yeah. Let me ask you, Mike, uh, uh, about when you came into the the UFC, because um, I have told this story uh, on the show before. Uh, that was your uh, your fight against Lynn, and you got that fight on short notice, if I recall. Wasn't there a – I think maybe you were a replacement opponent for him, something like that. And I was covering that fight, and I remember at media day – Frank's heard me tell the story a million times, but um, – uh, at media day, you know, they always have the fighters set up around the room kind of in a circle. And uh, Cowboy Cerrone sitting next to you, and he was either in the main or the co-main or something. I mean, you know, big throng of reporters around him and everything. Well, here's Mike Perry who got this fight on short notice, and he's sitting there. There's nobody's talking to him. So I go over and I talk to you. And I knew I knew you were undefeated. I mean, I just knew some basic facts, but I had never talked to you or, or heard you speak before. And I walked away from that interview, and I told Frank this. I said, you did that interview like you were supposed to be there. I mean, you were ready for that interview, <laughs> like when the, when the switch flipped That's on. And it was important because it's like what you're doing is you're talking from a standpoint, not maybe of currently where you are, but where you intend to be. You know, it, it, there was no, I'm just 
fortunate to be here or anything like that. You were basically telling me what was going to happen, you know, where you were going in that fight and then what you had planned after that. Was that something that even though you got that fight on short notice mentally, you were just already prepared for? I just knew that I was going to have more than I had ever had, no matter what the outcome was in that fight. Mm -hmm. So it just, I was totally relaxed. There wasn't a nerve in my body. I was so excited to be there. And, uh, oh man, that's a good memory to, I remember that feeling. It was Mm -hmm. different than any other because the dreams that I had that I was thinking of back then, I was thinking a lot smaller than I'm thinking now. Mm. After almost two years in the UFC and eight fights, I'm thinking, um, you know, I'm still thinking big, but there's a lot more work involved now. Yes. (laughs) I thought it was going to be a little faster. Yeah. Well, and then that brings us to the point where you change the camps because, you know, it's it's great if a fighter can come into the, you know, on a big stage undefeated and lots of knockouts and all that. But the downside of it is if you've gotten used to that feeling, you know, being able to feel like you can beat the world, then sometimes when you take the next level up, some people don't make that transition well because they're like, wait a second, when I was in the smaller show, I was knocking everybody out and everything. So you obviously had the the self-awareness to go, okay, well, now I've gotten this far. Now, you know, maybe I need to try different camps. Like when you go to Jackson Wink, like you're talking about now, even trying training with other people. Was that a tough uh was, was that a tough realization for you? Or, again, sort of like we were talking about with that interview, did you just kind of always have the self-awareness to go, okay, now it's time to start focusing on, like you said, a lot more work involved. What's the, what's the next level? Uh, I always wanted to do the travel and train, go to different gyms. Um, I just never did. There were things, rent and stuff like that. I was like, if I'm paying rent somewhere – I'm living there then, so uh, I I didn't change where I was staying. Mm. I was in the same gym all the time. Nothing against them. Um, Nothing against Jackson Wink when I go to another one. Mm -hmm. And I just, I always thought, why not walk into gyms with a camera and someone filming and spar with their best guys? Mm -hmm. Skip all the, skip everything else. I'll just sign a little waiver. And we'll just have some fights, mm-hmm. some yeah. videos. Uh, to your point, you were saying about people who, you know, I don't even know if it's so much of us coming from a small show to a big show and running into mm-hmm. problems. I think most people, or you'll see people that have a lot of success, you know, I think what your first five fights, first round knockouts, something like right? that. Yeah. A lot of people, when they first run into that first obstacle you'll see how they're going to react and you're right you reacted properly but i think the best example like the the, the i think it'll be the proverbial like here's the the tale to watch when it comes out is ronda rousey mm. there's somebody who had phenomenal amount of success steamrolled everybody she ran into a stumbling block stumbled again but even after the first stumbling block didn't change her trainers mm. kept with the same program you know, I said, well, you know, it got me where I was. That was just a fluke in her mind. Had even worse disastrous results in her second fight. And just, I mean, you and the, uh, you know, as a journalist can probably attest better than most. She just doesn't want to accept it. Like mentally cannot, to the point where I think it ruined her career. Yeah, I, 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 I think Ronda could still probably come back and be a champion had she just, she actually defeated herself. Yeah, I I think sometimes there is a stigma associated with if you're changing camps, oh, that's like you acknowledging the last one didn't work. But that's not always the case. Sometimes it's just, I need to learn new stuff. And I'll give you an example. I mean, you know, you became known much more as a, a striker in the latter part of your career. You know, I mean, you could have just been the, you know, forever the the heavyweight submission specialist. But when you started boxing, when you started, you know, uh, you you went on that run of knocking people out like Bigfoot and, and, and Duffy and all that. Then all of a sudden, not only did it create a new chapter but people started going well now we gotta worry just like we were talking about mike at the beginning yep. of the show the opposite you know you did now you don't just worry about him knocking you out you got to worry about him wrestling you and stuff like well, that and that's why i like when you that was a, a good mindset that you have and you sit there and go well i, I get a black belt in jiu-jitsu 
I appreciate that you think that way because I, you know how many people it drives me nuts when they sit there and they're good at one facet of the sport. Like you got great hands, right? Your hands are probably not going to get too much better than what they are. You can improve, but that's a great foundation of what you have already, right? But you'll hear guys be like, well, you got to learn jiu-jitsu. It's like, ah, you know. And there's like a mindset that like, well, just because you're good at something, you're not going to be able to be good at the other things. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Wait a minute, but if you got good at one aspect of the sport, why can't you, unless it's physical attributes that are holding you back, you can't get proficient at the other aspects of it too? I mean, everybody has preferences. It's just like, you know, I always use boxing as a great example. That's the most similar style of fighting you could probably say. I mean, everybody has to fight almost the same way. Mm. Can only hit with your hands, can only hit with the knuckles, all hit to the same area. And look how many different styles within that you have because of preferences of bodies Mm -hmm. but everybody can box you know everybody still has the same everybody knows i throw a hook some guys have better hooks than others just so that's why sometimes i'm glad in mma it's gone that way now back when i trained it was like if you were a jiu-jitsu guy you stayed a jiu-jitsu guy Mm. if you were a boxer it's like well you're a boxer we'll just learn how to sprawl and brawl like you know if you're you're a wrestler you just learn ground and pound there was no stepping out of your lane to become well-rounded where now guys like yourself are like just because i just need to go to the right camp learn the shit and if i apply it it's going to work for me Mm -hmm. i uh when I wrote down on my paperwork the first time for what Bruce Buffer was going to say when I walked out or when I was standing there waiting to fight was my fighting style was drunken boxer because, <laughs> you know what I mean, I just I knew I was trying to punch him in the face, but I knew that I could stop takedowns. I could get him if I needed to. I could pull some submissions. And, you know, it's just a little little shots here and there that um add to the the flavor of the drink you know what Mm -hmm. i mean so you know i can drown some people in there and i'm you know i tried to drown paul felder in his own blood yeah yeah came close (laughs) the i tell you it's nice about fights like that too is obviously uh you know you continue to move up the ranks but when you see a fight like that that delivers you think in the back of your mind at least i do Man, it's not going to be the worst day if these two ever run into each other again. Like, as a fan, that's going to be a good one to watch. And there's a few fights like that, I think, if fighters are lucky enough to have those kind of careers, where even if it's not an immediate rematch type of situation, you know what I mean? You just kind of file it away, and you go, hey, maybe at some point we run into each other again. That's probably going to deliver. That's fine with me. Well, that, and I think there's no losers. Yeah, right, right. Obviously, there's a winner and a loser. But when you have a great fight, it's like the guy that wins – obviously is on a higher trajectory but when you have a great fight the guy that loses is just on a less of a trajectory but he didn't take a step backwards Mm -hmm. whereas the same note you see a fucking awful fight the guy that wins takes a step back and the guy that loses takes five steps back you know yeah winning and losing is not always everything in our world you know yeah i got three decision losses and yeah i got i gained respect yeah that's how you Mm -hmm. fight Mm -hmm. i didn't go backwards so that is all that matters, and I'm sure Paul will be back. I already told him, you know, rest up and, you know, beat the next guy. So Yeah. Now, if you – so the plan right now is you, you you may be a little nomadic. You may skip around and try out some different camps, stuff like that. Is that kind of what you're, what you're thinking? You mentioned, you mentioned uh, Rufus Sport. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, the champ is there, and I like that guy, so – I mean, I don't think he would mind me coming and getting, like, a little camp in with him. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. I got to go back to Florida first. Mm -hmm. I got a little family reunion coming up this weekend in Texas. Mm. Then when I get back to Florida, I got to fix my little car. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's already some news in the air, though, so. Oh, you may have your next fight? Yeah. What can you tell us? I can tell you it would be this year. Okay. All right. That's good. Well, I think moving up the Rufus camp would be awesome for you. They're great strikers on top of being well-rounded in MMA, but, you know, they focus more on that aspect of it. Plus, I mean, Pettis still works up there too, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know. That'd be a good guy to find. I I like Pettis' attitude all week. Every time he saw me, he knew I was fighting his boy Paul, so he was like Mm. looking at me all crazy. He wouldn't say nothing. He would just stare at me. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, dang, man, all right, I get it. I'm fighting your boy. It's cool. Yeah. It was, I was a fan of Pettis, man. Yeah. 
Back on the Wheaties box. Well, he'd probably have a different reaction to you if you don't have the, the Felder fight in front of you. Yeah. He'd probably be happy to see you yeah. up there, yeah. Cool. Well, this is giving you a chance to, to travel around a little bit and see stuff. Like, do you, uh, I mean, it seems like it's, you know, you're, you're at a point in life where you said at the beginning that, you know, you've got, you knew it was going to give you so much more than you already had and stuff like that. Um, I mean, are you really enjoy, it seems like you could really enjoy this chance to, like you said, do a lot of traveling and stuff like that. And yeah. All that. Yeah. Um, I've talked about um, motorhome but i don't think that's the way to do it mm. i just fly around <laughs> and i was gonna look at property out here in vegas because of the pi yeah and then i want to continue working with uh frank lester from jackson wink uh-huh. um i was doing a lot of mitts with him so you know really that's important that that was the biggest change mm. in my camp was all the mitts i was doing with frank so that made me a lot better, and and I gotta continue that. So uh, I gotta find a way to do it. But first, I gotta go back to Florida so I can go to Volcano Bay. I got like the season pass to this awesome water park. And oh it's yeah, so fun. Oh, Volcano yeah. Bay. I like a good water park. I think they're fun because it's like a roller coaster, but you're not enclosed in a seat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're just free form. <laughs> Anybody ever see your big ass barreling down a water slides at? Boy, that, Let's I, go to Wet and Wild to... one time together. I'll show you what I do. I just did it when I was up in Atlantis yeah. with this rides because I just I actually bridge when I go through the rides. So uh-huh. I, you know, because my, my kids are always down first. Yeah. So I know that I can, you know, I'm so heavy. Yeah. So I just make sure that the only thing touching the bottom of the slide is my heels and like the back of my shoulders and my head. I pick my <laughs> hips up off the mat, you know, off the the slide. So it's very little surface area touching, and like I fucking fly down that. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> so my kids get a kick out of it because I mean, when I hit the water, it's yeah it's a spectacle where is volcano bay is that like in orlando yeah Yeah. it's orlando area off of uh international drive around there somewhere um i've been a couple of times but it's definitely a lot of fun yeah so i'm gonna go like every day for like a week there you go there you go i'm gonna overdo it that's why not how close is yeah i always would think that if you told me we're gonna open up a water park in Florida, I was like, ah, it's not going to work. The fucking beach is for free. It's right there. You don't yeah. pay the toll, you know what I mean? But if it works, it works. I mean, water park here in Vegas makes the most sense. It's yeah. Like, what the fuck are you going to get water from? You got to drive four hours to fucking L.A. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, I've I've seen people go to Lake Mead out here in Vegas. Oh, that's true, yeah. Uh, boating in Lake boat. Mead's cool. Oh. Swimming in Lake Mead, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> need a, a $100,000 for a boat. There's going to yeah, be friends with people who have boats. Yeah. I'd I, I, be friends. Yeah, yeah, just get that season pass to Volcano Bay. It's a lot more economical. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds fun, man. I'd like to hit that water park. I, uh, I t- uh, you know what? I just thought about this because we, we're planning our trip to uh, Cal Jam again this year for October. But uh, my girlfriend and I go to this music festival that the Foo Fighters play at. And uh, they do it at a campground that has a water park on it, right? So the whole time we were there, my girlfriend was like, I'm going to be really excited if I see Dave Grohl, you know? And so we went to the water slide, and she went in the bathroom, right? You know, there's always kind of like a long line for the women's bathroom. So she's in the bathroom. I'm waiting in line for the water slide. And while she's in line for the bathroom, here comes Dave Grohl up the stairs to the water slide, got up on the water slide with me, and rode the water slide down with me. And as we get to the bottom, she comes out of the ba- <laughs> she comes out of the bathroom to see him driving off, you know. And she's like, "What was that? What just happened?" I go, "It was the craziest thing." While you're in the bathroom, Dave Grohl just showed up out of nowhere and rode a water slide with me. <laughs> see, you know, when I tell you sometimes honesty is not the best policy. <laughs> That was one of those moments, buddy. Yeah, see, see, Frank knows better than me because he's been married for a long time. Yeah, so you know, he, sometimes yeah. there's good lies. I, I really do firmly believe that, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> girls, if we go somewhere, don't tell me that you are waiting to see Dave Grohl or some other dude. Yeah, I don't care that. about you seeing any other guys. You yeah, there's only that. talk about me. You're right, Mike. See, there you <laughs> served a right, didn't it? Here I was, I had it backward. You straightened that out for me, man. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. That's I'm gonna go home and tell her that right now. Yeah, serves you right. Yeah. Hey, Mike. Uh, yeah, oh, uh, last thing, because yeah. I've had such a long career. I'm always curious how people deal with this, because I've dealt mm-hmm. with it in different ways. You had to change up your corner for the last fight, right? Mm-hmm. How'd that conversation go when you tell people they can't be? They're, they're uh, um, there were people already thinking that the last one in Orlando was their last one, and 
uh, you know, they just, it was easy. It was no big deal. They understood, you know what I mean? Cause That's important. That means they, they were my first you. team yeah. mm -hmm. ever. So I need, it was a lot of wrestling and boxing. It's real close quarters. Not a lot of long distance kickers. Um, or there was just somebody that was too big, you know what I mean? So, and it didn't make sense. It doesn't work that way. If they're too big, they're too slow. Yeah. I need the guy my size who's tall mm. and is fast. Or smaller. So, Actually, that's the one thing that I, even John Wood today, I was training. Mm -hmm. There was only the next biggest guy was a light heavyweight in the gym today. He was like, I'm sorry, man. There's, there's nobody big here today. I'm like, uh, and that's only been the first week of me training there with John. I'm like, I don't like training with heavyweights. I very rarely do. That's how I got good at jujitsu. Mm. I didn't train with other heavyweights because they suck. You know, mm. The average heavyweight is dangerous because they're big and they hit hard, but that doesn't really translate over into the gym because you're wearing thick gloves. So as far as skill training, I think it's always better to train with people that are smaller and faster than you. Because that's to me is a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. Because you you can't sit there and just drop the guy. It's not over with. You're still going five minutes. Even if I hurt you, we're gonna take a break and we're going back at it again. So it's the power factor is not an advantage in a training camp. Right. Mm -hmm. Speed is the advantage. So might as well work with people that are faster than you. So you're always at a deficit and you're having to catch up. You know. Yeah. And when that makes they're sense. smaller, there's smaller gaps. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. all around more difficult. Little guys, it's hard to get their. Yeah, you get a guy like me, honestly. If I don't know what I'm doing, it's easier to pin me down because look how broad my shoulders are. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a big fucking lever. You sit on it. You get a guy that's tiny, like even trying to hold a girl down sometimes. I've dealt with that. You know, within context. <laughs> In the gym and training. <laughs> that sounded kind of rapey, right? Right, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah we, we want to isolate that clip. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, flexible, tight. You know, it's like fucking trying to hold on to a bar of soap. You know what I mean? They're yeah. small. They're fucking tiny. You know. Well, you got to be more precise with your technique. Yeah, yeah, for Clean. sure, for sure. Well, Mike, uh, it's been a pleasure having you up, man. Thanks for coming to the studio, hanging out with us. Been a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Meet legend Frank Mears. Oh, so. yeah. Um, it's good to see you. Too, good to bro. see you too again, Mike. That's that Burkade. That's what they do in Albuquerque. What they is just it? Slap and uh -huh. dab like jujitsu. Oh yeah, yeah. That's I how they always start practices. Every handshake. Yeah. Bro. See, I, he did that to me, yeah, and then I thought, wait a second, I fell into a trap because now he's going to shoot rolling. on me. Yeah. <laughs> Are we rolling? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. Well, I tell you what, do this. I know you can't say what the the fight is going to be yet, but uh, maybe uh, when you do get that fight, maybe maybe we get that that uh, TV screen behind you. We can get uh, people on Skype or FaceTime or whatever. So if you're not in town, maybe could you come back on with us and talk about the next fight? Yeah, I could do that. All right, definitely, cool. man. We'll get a, uh, get you kind of text. All right, let's do it. We'll have a great time out there. That that week long Volcano Bay experience. I'm kind of jealous of that. That actually sounds really good to me. Yeah, take a lot of sunblock. Oh, I'd be la I got to <laughs> lather it on every ten minutes. You kidding me? This vampire skin. You would be like the beginning. Of the, you remember the old RoboCop movie where they're like they did like a commercial at the beginning, like it was like you know like a, it was part of the movie. Yeah. They're like, oh, take this blue three thousand. Now that we've lofted our ozone layer, and the girl's out sunbathing, but she has like blue paint yeah. on her. <laughs> oh yeah, that's yeah. your level of sunblock. Yeah, you do not want to see me You'll without be out there with a rash guard. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> For Full rash guard, full spats, everything. Yeah. 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 All right. Mike Perry, Platinum Mike Perry has uh, been our guest here on Phone Booth Fighting.